On this week's episode, there are simply too many comics to talk about, but Todd and I are going to try anyway. Hello and welcome to Panelism, the podcast where we talk about comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf. I'm Todd A. I am Taylor Trask, and it is truly Todd a comic book episode again. Um, <laughs> not not one of those and more episodes. I forget That's when true. last last one was that we did just nothing but books. Well, although I, I, although I have and more as well. That's true. Yeah. Well, yeah, but the the and more when the whole episode is and more. I think I worry that our listeners are like, this isn't what I signed up for. But then it's like, uh, you know, we, we come back true. to this every once in a while, so that's that's good. Well, I mean. I we've talked about before, like uh, reading habits changing and, you know, comic book stores being closed and, you know, during the pandemic and things like that. So it's, you know, it's been an adjustment. Um, yeah. Yeah. Have you um, I mean, how often have you been? I don't think we were talking about this. How often have you gone to the comic shop uh, in the last, let's just say, six months since Rona began? I have not been to a comic book store in yeah <laughs> seven to eight months. So you haven't and, physically gone into one. Wow. Uh, no, I can probably count on one hand how many places I've been into. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you, uh, you're in California too, though, so things are a little bit different. Uh, well, as well, I don't. I don't think so. As I look out at my maskless neighbor, you know, um, <laughs> it's uh, I. Well, but we had this thing that we talked about last year, where my local comic shop closed down last year. Oh, that's and right. That's I had right. sort of gone, and I'd found this new place, and I thought, okay, this is the place. And I think we talked about it and hyped it up on the show. They've since closed down, which I don't have any insight on, but I would imagine is because of the pandemic, because they're a really small shop. And even when I saw them, it was like they uh, they didn't even have their diamond like distro deal. Uh, sealed up yet so there were certain books they weren't getting or something you know mm -hmm. so I can't even imagine it's like hey if you got to close your doors and all you're doing is at that point is selling sort of used books you know uh, how do you stay in, open there's a there's a third shop that I have gone to a few times uh, that I do like and would feel safe going into but um, honestly I'm still working that backlog and just like curating the giant collection nice I, uh, I actually, I, it's a little tricky because you want to, you know, you don't want to overwhelm, you know, your shops with, with too many people coming and going. Cause you know, those, the folks who work there are still at risk and you want to be right. mindful of that. And I tend to have, I sort of tend to linger, um, a lot, but then I, as we've talked about many times, I ended up getting quite a few books before Rona and then right after through, um, you know, just kind of like a final stock up. Escape Velocity had closed its second store, like right before the lockdown. So I grabbed a bunch right. of that stuff. Humanoids had an amazing Humble Bundle sale that I just cleaned oh, yeah. up on. I'm still working my way through that stack. So I, I was good, but I was kind of missing the, the you know, weekly pilgrimage. And especially if you had, you know, thinking about you, like if you if you had a shop that you liked, that was your shop and it's gone, it's almost like you're a, you're a, a widow, you know, or widower rather. Um, 
You know, it's like, it, it, when when will you love again, Todd? That's the question. I know. And so, and so here, fortunately, I'm lucky in that, um, that Springs is two big, you know, kind of mainstay shops, Muse and Escape Velocity, are still open. Sadly, I haven't had my book club to go to, um, you know, understandably, but still, it's that was kind of a punch in the gut this year. Um, but both of those shops are still going strong. Uh, I actually went to Muse on Friday and sort of had one of those days that you kind of dream about, you know, the, the almost where you kind of feel reinvigorated again to read stuff. Like you just kind of catch it where a lot of new series that you didn't just, you didn't know about or, you know, or did know about and were excited about, you kind of hit everything. And so you, you kind of walk away with a bigger stack than you thought about huh. going in. That sort of happened to me on Friday. So I've got a bunch of stuff today uh, from both that trip and, and some previous finds um, through comiXology that I'm going to talk about today as well. I'm going to do what we call, Todd, a compliment sandwich of comics or a comic <laughs> book compliment sandwich, meaning I'm going to talk about things I like. Then I'm going to give a um, less than favorable review for, for a couple of things. And then I'm going to oh end on things that I like as well so that we can keep it positive. So that's that's my cue for today. What about you? I only have complimentary things to say today. Well, good. Um, good. But I, I, you know, I, I think it's worth sort of... Uh, um, uh, for posterity's sake, you know, putting in like how our reading habits have changed and stuff like that. Yeah. And one huge consequence that I think we've talked about, a huge consequence for me of lockdown and being at home so much is I have a very tiny apartment and I'm really sick of all the stuff in it. Uh, and so the thought of going to a comic book shop and coming back with like a stack of books to read is, is just not appealing to me. And I think because I'm facing it down every day. um, And I used to have, and this is another thing you I've talked about being like important is uh, we, we both used to, um, uh, although we do not practice this faith, we uh, borrow this word um, from the Jewish tradition of like honoring a, a Shabbos and yeah, yeah. <laughs> having a day off every week of like no computers, mm-hmm. um, which has just been hard because if I want to, you know, if I want to like chat with people, if I want to play games with people, what, whatever I'm doing, you know, my it's online. So the. Yeah one of the big appeals of getting into RPGs a couple years ago was having that physical like group of people to play games with and roll physical dice and stuff. And, you know, I haven't done that in, since February. So it's oh, been really weird. And uh, man. so I, so towards that end, it's like, I don't want to get any more physical stuff in my house. And I have so many comics on, um, on the iPad that I'm just, I need to get to you. You took advantage of that humble bundle humanoid sale about a month earlier. I had taken advantage of a humble bundle image sale and gotten all these series that I kept meaning to read like monstress and stuff like that. Um, And uh, so I, you know, I, it just feels like the, even though the TBR pile is not in front of me, it's on an app and it's huge. And which app do you use? Remind me. Oh yeah, that's a great because uh, you and I we I don't think we talked about that since we've gone through this, but um, I am a Comicsology Unlimited reader, which I think is a great deal. I mean, I hate to sound so corporate, but it's like it's a pretty good deal. Oh, um, it's a slamming deal. I'm gonna I'm gonna be blowing it up as a deal here soon, so don't worry. Yeah, but uh, the I mean, it's six bucks a month, and it's like yeah, yeah. what what I really like about that. And although this may not sound very supportive of of artists. Uh, I hope I make up that support in other ways um, is I like being able to check in on an issue I can borrow and going, you know what? That's not for me. And I yep, don't, yep. I don't feel the like regret of so many times. I mean, I can't tell you how many times 
I've bought an issue one, not read it, bought the second issue, maybe not read it, but, you know, bought the third issue and then thought, okay, now I got to start the series Mm -hmm. and then don't like it. And Mm I go, ooh, you know, and like I one springs to mind instantly that happened right before the pandemic where uh, a friend of ours had told us about a series. It was already several issues in. So I went and bought like three or four issues because, you know, to catch up. And then started reading it during lockdown and went, ooh, no, this is not for me. Now I have all these books, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I really like a comicsology for that. Uh, but uh, I did a bunch of experimenting because I used to use a app called Panels and had a lot of problems recently loading that image library into it because the Humble Bundle gave us, what did it give us? It gave us CBRs or CBZs. CBZs, e- EPUB, EPUBs, and PDF. EPUBs and PDF. So an EPUB is the one that's like not Amazon. I think that's right. I don't even I be- know. I believe so. But CBZ it- tends to be a smaller file that loads right. faster in a lot of cases. So just it's kind of pick your poison, I guess. Well, I, I tried a few out and I ended up going with one called YAC Reader. Yep. Which I freaking love. And it was a it was a paid for app, but it was a really small price i think it was four or five dollars and i i think it's great so to me it's like yeah i was gonna suggest the same thing and you may have even told me about that one because i think i was asking you and drew maybe even too on our our uh private chat i was like yeah guys using and then i tried i tried a couple out and that one yeah definitely the the ux is probably my favorite um you know just sort of it feels the most appropriate i just wish i could sync in all my comiXology books too so i could have one unified library but uh yeah it is what it is yeah I agree. Oh, the other thing I liked about it too is you can create playlists. You can create yes. collections and playlists and actually like organize your collection in a meaningful way. So you can have like a, a collection that's like, you know, your TBR pile collection and another one right. that's like, you know, old favorites or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And uh, I, my, I have a book pick for today, which is uh, one of those uh, comicsology un- unlimited things. So do it. Uh, Let's get into it. Uh, yeah. Do you want me to start? Yep. Um, you start. And we'll tell you go, what I've been we'll reading. Do, yeah. Back and forth, or we'll we'll figure out a flow here as we go. As uh, <laughs> you know, I I vary on a series I get into. Whether I want to do a lot of research on how this came about, what was the story of its publishing? You know, like learning more about it, and and then being kind of removed, sort of like. Uh, uh, you know, trying to find that experience of like listening to a record when you have no expectations. Mm-hmm. And so I had found this book to borrow on comiXology and I don't rem- remember if it had been recommended to me through the algorithm or something, but it's called Spera, S-P-E-R-A, um, written by Josh Tierney. Um, and the odd thing about Spera was when I found it or when it was recommended to me, as I do, I went to view the series and there was no series. There was just this one volume to borrow for free. And I went, this is, you know, great. I want a standalone comic. And knowing that we were going to do this episode and I had been um, doing what I've, I've mentioned here briefly, but I've, you know, talked about on other shows where I, I'd been ducking in and out of like, I'll, I'll open up a comic and I'll go, you know what? That's not, I'm not interested. I don't want to keep reading it get it off the device. Let me go to the next one, you know, stop the clutter kind of thing. Yeah. And Spara just really hooked me. And I loved the art. I loved that the first couple of pages were kind of silent in this way of like, at least the protagonist you were watching was not saying anything. There was sort of background noise. And I I just thought this is, this is wonderful. 
and and in one sitting read the whole thing and was struck with uh, how oddly it ended. And so I'll do my best. And there's I won't have any spoilers. I think it's just a uh, it's such a great book. It's it's worth checking out, especially if you have Comixology Unlimited. It's free. Um, it is about these two girls who are princesses. Uh, one is named Lona and I've, or Lono, and I've forgotten the other one's name already. <laughs> um, and it, it's not in my notes. Uh, but they, um, they realize, uh, uh, that their kingdoms are about to go to war. And so one princess delivers the other, this news of like, your father was just killed in battle. I saw him die. I know that my mother is going to bring the war to your kingdom. We have to get out of here. And they have this mutual friend that they don't know they have, uh, who is a, like a fire spirit. So this see, it is very much like a, uh, maybe not medieval exactly, but not quite Victorian, but like a romantic age sort of swords and sorcery sort of adventure. And their quest is if we can get to this borderland, we can make it into the land of Spera which is a very magical place. Like we live in a, you know, place where there's magic, but it's, it's basically like medieval Europe. Um, we can, we can cross through this border into this other country that is full of magic and just sort of live there happily. So, you know, instantly like quest magic, swords and sorcery, princesses, all that kind of stuff. Um, and just as they, you know, you know, great first issue, you're, you're, I, I mean, I'm just like dazzled at the art and then there is this abrupt shift in the art. And it turns out that for every single issue, uh, Tierney worked with a different artist. Oh, and no. Okay. So I had in mind that uh, volume of Wicked and Divine. And I thought, uh, yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, you know, like it instantly put me on alert. Like, is this what I'm going to go through? Or is this a one-off? Was this just sort of this person had to come in for this issue? But what I found was... Uh, and again, like limited sort of research and just reading the the cover credits and things like that was that there was a they had done there was like a it seems like there was a character design done by one person, mm-hmm. and so every artist borrows off that. Okay. And so it gives it this really imaginative like sort of magical flow through it, where I found out like I'm really enjoying this. Like every issue is a totally different style. And I sort of have to readjust my brain of like, there are really only these three characters that I'm following. So this is not throwing me off like Wicked Divine, where there's so many characters that you're trying to follow. You know, it's like, and every, you know, issue is basically a, uh, you know, a different part of the quest as they get towards Spera. So it's okay if it looks totally different because you're like, yeah, I get it. You know, this is the, this is this session. Of the <laughs> Can I jump in real quick? So yeah, as yeah. you've been talking, I've been grabbing it off Comixology Unlimited myself. Um, and I noticed they're split it into three volumes, and each volume so, is like its own series. It's like you can't just get all three in a series. Uh, how, how does that work? So that, is, yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> thank you for bringing that up. That was what I was going to come to, is that only this morning, <laughs> when I was doing my, you know, quote, research on this, did I, because I had Googled it and I, and I had that same feeling of like, well, you know, it says there's three volumes. So I went to Comixology and searched. I didn't do series detail. I did like Sparrow volume three and mm-hmm. found it. They have screwed up some metadata in there 
And these three different volumes have been split into three different series Ah, on Comixology. So there are three current volumes and they do tie together. And it, it, I mean, honestly, it relieved me so much this morning because I thought this ends in such a weird place Mm -hmm. that I, I didn't know what to do. And I, and I, and then I went and read a bit about the author and the, I found these quotes that were very final like as though the series was done and I thought, well, but it ends in like the weirdest place. What they just barely make it into the land. And then I thought, well, maybe this was like an art project. And um, it's from, uh, I, and I know I'll mispronounce this, but that this label we've talked about before, like Archaea or yep. something like that. Yeah. And I know they do the mouse guard books. So I felt like this is, you know, it's a very artsy also tale of sand by uh, Jim Henson, which is great, one of my great pull. And it's another artistic, you know, it's very art project kind of book. And so yeah, I thought, yeah. okay, well maybe Sparrow was really like art project sort of thing. And you read that all these artists uh, are, were very young because they all describe themselves as like recent grads or something. And this is Josh Tierney's first published book or like at least creator owned and blah, blah, blah. And I just thought, you know, I just put it together in my head. Like, ah, I guess this was just a crazy art project I got to read only this morning, like only hours before we were recording this podcast. did I realized like, no, 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 <laughs> they actually make it into Spera. <laughs> this story does continue. You you just only read the first volume. So I, I was very relieved and excited to have two more volumes to read. Uh, one of the other peculiar things about volume one is that there does seem to be a very like like the fourth or fifth issue, you know, where a volume would end. And then there's this thing where it says it says like additional stories or, or uh, it's something like the uh, oh man, what's it called? It's like the, the something and other stories. And I, w- I thought, you know, what what does this mean? So I when I got into that, it, too, was short stories with different artists um, and they were interesting. They were like, you know, some of them were fun. Some of the illustration styles were were pretty cool, uh, but it was just, you know, disconnected. And so, yeah, I had this very weird journey with this book um, and, uh, you know, but but I am very excited to read the next one. Um, it is, you know, uh, I, I think one of the difficulties in describing it is it's it is not so far in volume one. It's not exactly the story that's pulling me into volume two. It really is that construction. Uh, and sort of marveling at the fact of like, did the writer really just put this together in a structure and invite all these artists to come play in that sandbox? And mm-hmm. and that's what's well, fun to experience, you know. If you go to the website spira-comic.com, it's they've got a lot of stuff there. It's kind of a cool homepage, uh, more of a throwback to what websites used to be, in my opinion. Um, but if you go there, right. there's like web comics, and there's a bunch of little like one-shot kind of pages that either some of them are animated, but you get a sense of the different artistic style. Um, as you go throughout the whole thing. And then it's it almost is making me want to like dive into it more. Like I love the way some of these characters look. It kind of has a, um, a land called tarot sort of vibe to it because some of the stuff mm. that's more silent is, you know, it's people, you know, kind of almost steampunky, magical people wandering through rooms and like, you know, exploring places and you just can kind of settle into the the look and the feel of everything, which I which is great. But I like, I mean, if this is the kind of if this is the different art that's involved, I'm I'm on board. This looks great. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, it was a uh, it was such a cool read, and it was also like when I sat down and read it, it was on another day where I opened up several other books and just could not get like going with any of them, yeah. and was just doing sort of a unsubscribe thing of like I yeah. borrow I borrow a book, I'd read a couple pages, I'd go ah it's just not sticking with me, and I'd 
you know, close it out. And then, and then had that thing of like, I realized I'm 50 pages into Spera and went, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. You know, I'm See, stuck. I lo- I'm glad you said that because I've been struggling with that basically all year. That feeling of, man, when I first got back into content, that, that, that when we first started doing this podcast in 2015, there was that like March, April, May of 15, that like every week I'd go into the shop and there'd be like five to six amazing series that I would pick up and just consume immediately, just like that, you know, like that, right? Yeah. And so then you kind of think, oh, this is how it's always going to be. And then you realize, oh, that was both a combination of, of sort of the the novelty of it plus just some really good timing publishing wise. Like it just, I kind of happened to catch it at a really good wave. Um, and so like you kind of, when that doesn't happen, you almost kind of feel duty bound to read series, even if you don't like them as much yeah. or you kind of you're like oh this is i see what they're doing and but you're just it's not hooking you and then you kind of have that malaise where you, i do the same thing you just kind of start unsubscribing going why how did i get here and then you're like do i still like comics anymore and then you find <laughs> your spara and you're like oh no i do i just i just have to remember this is what it needs to feel like um yeah you know so that's i'm i'm i'm, I'm glad for that so you have uh, have you gone to their website yet? Uh, yeah, I just I just did as you said that, um, but that is not I did not go to that prior to uh, <laughs> recording this. Got it. So there's some really cool cool pieces in here. I'm glad you know like, the Wicked and Divine thing is a good a good comparison point because that was a series where for two volumes it had established a look and a feel and a sort of way that they that they sketch and, and kind of compose each scene each frame and then when they had that middle volume where I think it was volume three where they just invite all those guest artists in for each issue. And it was just like, it was so off putting. Yeah. Know? Whereas if the whole thing started like that, I might be a little bit more open to well, it. And, and not that this is a judgment on one, one style or the other, but also wicked and divine, which, which you hung with a lot longer than I did. Um, to me, like my impression with that was, man, I cannot just sort of duck into this book read it, get it, and then go to the next one. It was, you know, I'm sitting there trying to pick it apart. Like, I still don't really understand the mythology. And I don't, you know, wait, what's the thing with this character? You know, it would just, by the, I remember when I jumped into volume two after volume one, it was like, I don't even remember what I, what this person is, or is this a new person, or why do I <laughs> Some care? Of them look the, and look the same, they're drawn you, the same. You know, but it's, it was a complex book, like a lot of Jonathan Hickman books as well. This yeah, was a Kier, yeah. Kier, Kieran Gillen, right? And yeah, um, yeah. it, uh, it just didn't, it, it you know it was plot driven so for that kind of thing to all of a sudden switch up its visual communication style yeah that's extremely abrupt whereas spara has a very simple to understand plot you know that is these two princesses their kingdoms are about to go to war they're somehow already established as friends they decide to escape their kingdom to go to this magic land they have this friend that can guide them great that's it that's all you need to know like that is uh, you know, I went I went to a a, a panel on um, genre writing at at Comic Con a couple of years ago, and one of the most the most valuable thing I took away from that were all of the authors agreeing, like, look, if you're writing genre fiction, lean into trope. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. just the thing, and it, that honestly has helped so much in RPGs that I'm running or whatever. Is just hey, I. Yeah, of course you're going to meet the priest that that seems like he's a friendly guy, and then he, you know, turns out he has this terrible secret, and he's like super sick and wicked. Like, lean into it. That's what's going to happen in genre fiction. Um, I'll give you a better, more, even more kind of contemporary example. Um, it looks by all accounts that Mandalorian season two 
is like, no, no, we're just, we are a Western that just happens Perfect to be example. in space, but we're a Western. Like John Favreau clearly dabbled with that a lot in season one. I mean, even the, the closing credits have yeah, that, have that sort those. of motif. The, um, yeah, they're amazing. Uh, it just really I, connects you to the seventies in a way that none of the, none of the prequels or Abrams movies did. It's just like, this is, I feel like I'm back there watching this. Like this could have been made then. Right. That's it, that is such a perfect example because I thought of that quote because I got into Mandalorian really late, like during the lockdown. Yeah. So I That's was thinking, I was thinking of that that quote from from the panel of like lean into trope while I was watching it. I was like, this is perfect, man. And I I do have friends that that don't like Star Wars. I think because of what it's become, and yeah. it's hard to describe to them through the haze of the last you know eight movies like but remember the original idea was <laughs> it was a samurai western yeah. in space yeah that's it it wasn't yeah. trying to be a star trek like let's examine all these you know complex ideas of humanity it was just supposed to yeah. be like a yeah. samurai western in space and that is remarkable in its time you know yeah, yeah and it's so yeah it's taken us 45 years to get back to that <laughs> well and a person who knows what they're doing like Favreau clearly yeah. that that's what he thought star wars was this entire time and it's like i'll just make that version of it and that just happens to be that just well, happens to hew the closest to most people's vision of it you know it's, and, it's and, interesting that abrams yeah. is so far off the mark cool i so i have a couple other uh things to throw into our potpourri but i yeah. want to hear about books you're reading now, like, if you don't mind doing the compliment sandwich now, and then yeah, I can yeah. just ta- tag on the uh, the shows I was going to mention at the end. Okay. Keep, keep well, us in the com- comic book vein for a while. So the first one I'll start with is uh, a little series called The Department of Truth, uh, written by James Tinian IV, art and covers by Martin Simmons, and published by Image. Brand new series. Uh, issue two is out, and uh, I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's one of those books where you're like, are you sure Jonathan Hickman didn't create this? Because it has a lot of Hickmanian um, sort of you know, trope, speaking of tropes, things that he does really well. So it almost kind of feels like it's Hickman inspired. Um, it's got sort of a love of the conspiracy and it's got some very it, 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 it shoots out of the uh, out of the gate, like very focused, very specific. Like you can tell they really storyboarded this thing out, um, at least on these first couple issues. So they know exactly where to drop different things. Um, it kind of feels like if I had to describe it, it kind of feels like um, uh, the Black Monday murders, which we've talked about, had a baby with that uh, that other great graphic novel, Infidel, because the art is kind of it reminds me a lot of Infidel, especially how they draw uh, terrible nightmarish things. Um, but then it has sort of a Black Monday murders kind of uh, you know, way about it. You know, there's a there's an agent who gets recruited by this um, this gr- this sort of covert, uh, you know, maybe sort of government adjacent agency. And they and I'll, I'll spoil kind of the premise because this is like right in issue one. Like this, this is what hooked me. Basically, this department. Uh, let me re- let me rewind. They <laughs> they prove in the world of the book that uh, belief powers reality, and if enough people believe a thing, it manifests and then stays real in this universe. And so this department is, exists to try to shut that down. So the the big sort of amazing thing is there's, there's this agent who gets kind of invited into this Bilderberg group's you know, kind of hangout and they all these crazy things happen. 
uh, and then you, you get introduced to this kind of weirdly demonic woman with X's for eyes. You'll see her on several of the covers. Like she appears and you're not quite sure what that's about, but they all get on this plane together and they're all excited and they're like excited for this new guy, this new agent, you know, kind of character to, to, to join them. And he's telling the, the agents telling the story in, in a flashback and they go, they travel for what seems like hours. They have to refuel several times. And then they finally reach what he thinks is the Antarctic and he sees a giant ice wall. The flat earth ice wall is there. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, I don't know what the hell I'm looking at. And he's telling the story to this department who's trying to recruit him. And they're like, so that is real. It has no business being real. The earth is round. Everything that you know is still correct. But what's happening is more people are believing the flat earth conspiracy. So it is manifesting this ice wall and it's and if it goes on for too long it's going to basically destroy the earth because the earth can't be flat like in reality it can't it just it you know physics wouldn't allow it so oh um, and- oh that's interesting so they 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 figure out that like even though it manifests, it's not like reality alters all of its laws of physics. Exactly. To adapt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, and so they, their department exists to, almost like men in black style to kind of to thwart and subvert these, these conspiracies from gaining too much steam because they will manifest these things in the real world. Um, and you see like, you know, things that have like, they, they mentioned an issue to um, satanic panic. And when that occurred, like no, no Satan worshipers in the eighties were like stealing kids and like creating these pedophile rings. And like, that wasn't happening if at all, it, definitely not to the extent that everybody was thinking about, but because there was that year or two spike where it like really got, it was, everybody was, was talking about it. Like it was QAnon um, that actually in the world of the comic, like some of that, like there were, there were kids who had false memories of these experiences because it, they just sort of manifested. And so this department exists to stop this. It's, it's led. And this is my favorite part. It's led by Lee Harvey Oswald, who is not dead, but we don't know why. <laughs> like, we don't know what his deal is. Is it the real Lee Harvey? Is it like a, is it a, is it a manifested Lee Harvey? Like, we don't know what the deal is. Like, it's just one of those amazing kind of mysteries that's running under this whole thing. And it's, it's beautifully illustrated. It's, it's set up much. Each issue is very much like an episode of television. It's, it's just, it hits all the right notes in all the right ways and just keeps sucking you in. Um, so department of truth, I'm guessing they're, they're printing that one a lot. I think they're already on printing number two for issue one. Um, it's, it's proving to be an incredibly popular, uh, series, especially kind of given the the times in which we live. Um, the next one is one that has actually, uh, just concluded and it's sex criminals, which is a long time. We've just, it's one of those image series that you'd think we would have talked about before and just never really got to. I never really bothered to get into it. Yeah, why. in our in one of our like uh, text chats, you had brought that up, and that so that was just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that was the yeah. first time I learned that you had read any of it at all. Yeah, and I'm still pecking my way through it. Like I'm, you know, I've done volumes one and two, and then I'm sort of pecking okay. around because they just the reason I got into it is they just put out they just concluded the series with fittingly issue number sixty nine, nice. and I thought. Just for that, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this thing. I'm gonna finally like give this thing a shot. And uh, and oh, and so one, you hadn't even started until you no, knew that's, that. No, I it saw was that. I was like, you know what? Interesting. I'm gonna oh, honor it. Just even if it's terrible and I don't like it, I'm just I'm gonna honor it just because they they had that that was just that was obvious and genius at the same time. And so uh, as it happened, it should happen. And I encourage everybody if you have Comicsology, um, and this is by no means sponsored by them. Uh, at all, it just happens to be convenient. Six criminal, sex criminals uh, volumes one and two are there, so go grab them. Um, Unlimited, th- you mean? 
Unlimited. Yeah, you have yeah. to. Uh, I mean, buy them too if you want. But like, you have to if you want to if you want to sample them on Unlimited. They're definitely there. And I think if Volume Two, you have to download a single issues. I believe Volume One, you can just grab uh, the trade paperback. Um, I like it. Oh, and by the way, uh, written by Matt Fraction. If you're a fan of that guy, art by Chip. Uh, I cannot pronounce his last name. Zardarovsky. Zardarovsky or something like that. What is it? Um, published by Image. Oh yeah, Zardarovsky. Yeah, yeah. Zardarovsky. Right. There we go. And then um, I do want to uh, mention that one of my favorite things about it is that for each season or volume, um, the individual issue covers, like they change, like all the covers fit together stylistically, but then that style will change from like season to season or volume to volume. Um, So like, you know, it's it's from a collector standpoint, they really make it interesting to grab those physical issues. I don't know what the variants look like, but just even the like kind of the main, the main uh, version issues are really, really fun. And it's about... Um, two people and you get, and they both have point of, uh, point of view kind of voices and they, they, they do a lot of fourth wall breaking where they just like, you know, they will appear as their older selves, you know, in a flashback or something and just like look right, right at you through the, you know, through the panel. But it's two people, a man and a woman who, uh, sometime in their, in their pubescent youth discovered that time stops when they orgasm. And so they end up finding each other, meeting each other later on in like their late twenties or early thirties. I forget which at this party. And then they have sex and realize if they do it together, it's, it happens even longer. And then they both discover that this, this other person has this power. And so, and then as, uh, as you do, (laughs) you decide to become a criminal during that. (laughs) Now wait, that, that comes along later. So like you learn and they do a really good job before they even get to that they do a great job of fleshing these two characters out. Like they, they give them very interesting backstories, very, you know, very kind of flawed personalities. And they, they don't shy away from that. Like, it's just, it's really just as, as I mean, if there was no sort of sex time magic involved, just as like, you know, a story about these two people, I would be fine reading that like that alone was worked well. So it's, it's a sign of good storytelling when like that is solid enough where it stands on its own. And then you can add these extra amazing you know kind of fantastical elements and it just makes it you know it wraps it in that really nicely and so they they start slowing down time and they they have a lot of like goof off fun first you know they they you know tip over things in a convenience store and then pick it back up again they do all kinds of you know they they do kind of crazy kind of flash mobby kinds of stuff and then uh you learn that the female character's library which she had purchased she you know she was a a, a voracious reader um and went to this library and then later on you know took over the library and and their you know land developers are trying to shut her down banks trying to take it away and so she's like she gets desperate and she, they actually and she meets the guy at one of these fundraisers i believe um that she's throwing at her at her apartment that's why there was a party so she's trying to do it and then the guy eventually in in issue in volume one suggests they just rob a bank because he works at a bank and he hates the bank and he hates his boss and he's he's kind of got social deviancy as, as one of his like kind of like Tourette's ticks kind of, he has like this kind of condition that he talks about, but he has to like, he has to do socially deviant things. So like his prior to meeting this girl, his thing was shutting down time in the office and then going, taking a crap in his uh, boss's plant. And he would just do this every day. And the boss never <laughs> could figure out who it was. And it just became you know, more and more obnoxious. So like that was his, his thing that kind of kept him from going crazy. And so all this comes I- together, they try to rob this bank and it, um, you find out through that event that the, the people who can, who have this power, there's quite a few more of them than just these two. Um, and so everything kind of hinges off that. And then that's not that, I mean, the crime isn't like, it's not like they just, it's not like Bonnie and Clyde where it's just like them having sex and just doing all these crazy things. Like that 
is more sort of the sort of the building up to that. Like everything else is about them and their relationship and, and them as people. Like that's again, can't stress it enough. That is interesting enough and is kind of the main through line. The other, you know, the criminality of it, the magic of it, like that is, you know, that's there, but it's not the main draw, even though it's called <laughs> sex criminals. That makes sense. Well, that that's good to hear because it's been a couple of years since I read volume one and the criminality oh, you have read of it. it. Okay. And the criminality of it was what I remembered. So <laughs> interesting. Maybe Great. I just wasn't as into that then. Cause I mean, there's, a, I mean, it's definitely there. It's not like it's, 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 you know, subtle, but like it gets, you know, at the end and cause there's this other group of people who you think they might be sex, you know, sex, you know, uh, sex crime cops or something like that. And then they're something, it's something else even weirder. Um, actually more satisfying and weirder. And then like, as the series goes on, like it becomes even clear, like the whole thing is about these two people. It's not really like, yeah, it's called sex criminals. And that pops up again and again throughout the rest. You know, and I've only pecked at a few of the other volumes just to kind of see where it's going. Um, but it's, it's really, it's like these two people and then it just concluded. So you can even jump ahead and I'm sure the whole, you know, over 69 issues, I'm sure there's a lot of, lot of story to tell. And I'm sure the whole thing shifts in a bunch of interesting ways, like those good image, those long running image series do like, uh, you know, black science comes to mind too. That seems like one of those that kind of started around the same time as sex criminals, I believe is like one of those, like the, that East of West, this yeah. kind of those big image series that were ongoing there for a couple of years. Yeah, they, it felt like part of that sort of second wave that came yeah. after East of West. And like, you know, they, it just kept building on all that image uh, uh, wave. Yeah, I think it did start around the same time as Black Science. But I don't. But how many volumes does this translate to? Or do you know how many are out oh, right man. now? Well, no, but you know, I can look it up real quick. They do that thing where they've now since recollected, you know, it's like each trade paperback and you know, every three they do like a omnibus um, oh, okay. Because I was thinking that's to, almost uh, ten volumes. If you do six issues a volume, and often Image does five. This looks so. like it's six trade paperbacks. Okay. That's interesting, though. Yeah, that would have to be almost like ten per. How do they do that? Hey, you got time to start reading it and and catch up by the time the finale comes out in a trade paperback. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> true, true. Yeah, you get November twenty fifth of this year. So that's that's the one that's uh, you know, just concluded. Again, it's a lengthy one, so it'll, I'll probably revisit that on the show a few times. And then one has concluded for now, but they're definitely working on volume two or season two if you want to. Um, and that is a little series called The Magic Order, written by Mark Millar, uh, of, of course, oh, published yeah. by Image, art by Olive, uh, Olivier Coipel. I'm butchering that name. Olivier Coppel or Olivier Coppel. Oh, it's Coppel. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, great artist. Um, and it, this is unique in that this was the first book under the quote unquote Netflix deal. Uh, you may have forgotten Mark Millar two years ago, three years ago, somewhere around there, sold Millar World to Netflix. Um, this is when they were buying things like the Umbrella Academy and they were kind of building out their comic book, but not Marvel or DC sort of, sort of, uh, of thing. And so they bought Millar world, which means they eventually get access to the things that are licensed elsewhere. Um, they're going to, they, they have the ability to make a um, Kingsman TV series if they want to, or a kick-ass TV series, which I think they definitely are doing. But then it also meant, uh, all the new comics from that point forward would be written with an eye towards making them all TV series. And then Netflix obviously gets the, the first rights to everything. Right. And so like, there was a great, and so this was the first book, first issue. It was, I think the second, fastest selling image issue ever. I think second, maybe third, somewhere around there. 
Um, and so it, it was, you know, this big, big, you know, hugely hyped. Um, I had picked up issue one and liked it, but then I just wasn't, I didn't quite hook me as much. I'm like, I'll just wait for the trade paperback to come out. And I finally caught up on it, uh, because once again, it was free on Comixology Unlimited. If you wanted to check it out, uh, I think it still might be, um, so that was uh, great. It's just such a great way to try things out. And if you like them, I mean, I've bought so many physical books based on things I've tried out on comics on unlimited. Like um, it's, it's crazy. But so this is, uh, this is one of them too. And it's just on issue one or season or sorry, volume one or season one. Um, and it's definitely, you can see how this could easily be adapted into a TV show. Um, it was one of those, it, it's got kind of a quirky whimsy to it. Like a lot of Millar stuff does, but um I don't know. There was something kind of, there was a sort of Victorian vibe to it. That was kind of cool. The way he does magic in this is, 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 you know, it's not so fantastical. There's kind of a practicality to it. Um, you know, it reminds me more of the strange and neural style of magic, just more, you know, just contemporary, but there's, I don't know. There's something about it that felt very, very like just kind of intro level. Like here's our basic characters. And like the seasonal arc was interesting, but wasn't quite as big you know, as you would expect from like season one of a TV show where it's like, we'll just keep it small and we'll build it from there. Um, there's a lot of interesting characters in this and there is a twist in at the end of the, uh, of the trade paperback. That's a really satisfying twist in my opinion. I didn't see it coming. Um, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see it. Hmm. My question will be if this did get turned into a show, I wouldn't want it to just be this volume. Like it, it, it feels like they would need to add more to it for me to even want to watch. Um, yeah. which maybe they can. So it's, it'll be that when that time comes, cause I'm, I know oh, good, good to know too. They were doing pre-production on it. Um, uh, and then COVID hit. So it has oh. been shelved for the time being, but they were in Prague doing location scouting. Um, as I think as, as early as March of this year. So, well, that that's interesting. I'm interested in this book now because I do think you've either mentioned it to me offline or, or it came up in a grab bag of like what's on the list this week, because, um, but I had to look it up to remind myself, and I have, I'm going to butcher the name as well, but I do know he is French, so probably Olivier and then like Coipel or something like that. But um, yeah, spelled like C-O-I, Coipel. I think I'm going to go Coipel. I like the, that's a, uh, a sexy ring to it. My, my French pronunciation is awful. Coipel. Anyway, he, uh, he has previously appeared on uh, Panelism because he did House of M, but he also did... Wait, I don't think we ever talked about House of M. Never mind. No. It's House House of X is the one you, that you, you're a big fan yes. of. Yes. Um, he did House of M. Um, he also did uh, The Unworthy Thor with Jason oh. Aaron. So, yeah, I talked about him when I talked about that book. But I, his art, I, I love his art. It's great. It's great. And real quick story pitch. It's basically um, mafia-style families uh, are all magical. Um, but, again, in a very practical kind of way. And so one, there's been a murder and, uh, you know, two of the families that are antagonistic with each other, you get it, you get to kind of see the interplay. Um, and it takes place more or less modern day. Um, you know, kind of has a, a bit of a timeless quality to it, but you can, you can you know, place it modern day. And it's, it's interesting. Like I said, it introduces a lot of stuff, um, that I'm sure we'll see again, but it did kind of feel like, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't like an overarching threat. It was just like, you know, everything was very, very tight, tidally cleaned up at the end. And it's like, we'll hmm. see you next time. You kind of had that sort of vibe to it, which is fine. I just wonder if that would have happened if this wasn't a, you know, it wasn't designed to be a show, you know, yeah, I, change. I wonder how much of that is like a part of the pitch of like, yeah, Hey, just yeah. get this, you know, get the first arc out 
we'll start making the show and then you decide whether to go on. Oh, one other thing that's worth noting. Um, this was another book for image where issue number one had no second printings, which was, I was appreciative of. Huh. So they just, once it's gone, it's gone. Um, so if you got an issue, if you see an issue, number one of magic order, maybe grab, grab it. And if they end up, they'll end up making the series anyway. Um, even if it's delayed and it may end up being awesome and then everybody's going to, going to want one. So if you're going to, if you're going to have a number one, that's probably a decent one to get, especially if you can get a variant, um, which I don't have sadly. Um, can I talk about, I'm glad you mentioned house of M and house of X, because I do want to talk about, this is my compliment sandwich. I do want to talk about two Uh-oh. things, even though we talk, we try to focus on the books worth having on your shelf. I do feel it's a public service, uh, I can offer to steer people clear or at least be, make them aware of, of, of some things that aren't as, as worthy. Um, uh, and the first one is, uh, uh is this X of swords thing that Marvel <laughs> is doing that Hickman is quoting, I guess, apparently show running, although that is difficult for me to see. <laughs> and and is, by show running, just sort of overseeing the comic, right? And like, writing most of it, like oh, writing okay. most of those issues. Um, uh, the, it, it is such a mess. And, and the biggest reason is that it's not a, a, a separate kind of spinoff series or sort of limited series. It is one of those dumb situations where a book could be in like this run of the Wolverine comic and book two can be over here in like uh, this other shitty X-Men series that nobody's reading. So we'll forcibly make you read it for this one issue. And then we'll come back over here and we'll do like a, a special, like not series related, just X of swords, like special one-off. And then so it's to keep up with all that is obnoxious. Yes. I mean, especially if you want to read them on comiXology, which I tend to want to, cause this is, I'm not going to want, I have no reason to collect these physically right. at the end of the day. So like, I just want to bang through it. And it's like to have like now nine different you know, mutant related series of which I just have one issue is a bit of, a, you know, a bit yeah. obnoxious. So that's, you know, but that's, you know, first world problems. I get it. Um, but this is, it means it, it makes it a mess to have to read because you know, you're having to find it. And then it's a mess stylistically because the art keeps changing. Um, and then, you know, like the, the, you know, the group that's running those other series, they kind of have a flow that they want to maintain. So some of these X of swords have to kind of fit into that. Um, and then there's, there's, you know, even though I'm reading it in order or was, cause I, I frankly have stopped cause I'm just like, I can't, I'll wait till it's done. And then I might check if they can collect it. I might check that out. Um, but I'll still be a little dubious. Um, it, it's, it's a mess because it doesn't. You know, you take last year at this time, we were enjoying House of X Powers of 10. It was out. It was amazing. It was, you know, at the same time that uh, Watchmen was was coming on HBO, there was that and this. And that was amazing because it was Hickman doing, you know, taking, you know, focusing on one limited series and reinventing the X-Men in like the best way possible. And at the same time, making every single thing canon. It's like, oh my, Mm, like genius, brilliant. every, Every award, here you go. And so the fact that he's involved with, with, uh, X of Swords is really frustrating because it's the opposite of that. It's it's messy conceptually. It, it you know it's messy distribution wise, and then it's about something that I just it has nothing. Like he set up such a great stage of amazing stories to tell that they could have taken any any thread from, and instead he invented something kind of new that really doesn't. I mean, it doesn't impact Krakoa, but it's like not not in it. I mean, it, it's it feels so sort of hand wavy like we don't need to be worrying about this um this separate story that involves like their you know elseworld or other world and camelot and all this other stuff it's it like okay and then we're getting backstory about apocalypse that's 
interesting, but then like just make that a series, like make that like a Thanos wins kind of like one-off thing. Just give right. us the apocalypse story you want to tell. Don't try to shoehorn it into this weird, you know, this weird event series that's then shoehorned into all these other, you know, all these other, you know, kind of ongoing series. It's just, it's, I stay away, stay away, Todd. Uh, you know, again, if you, when it's all said and done, maybe check that out, but don't, don't reward their, their lazy storytelling or lazy publishing with this, uh, with this right now. <laughs> well, it's disappointing to hear, but um, it, it, you know, I, I take it as justification that one of the things that's definitely declined over the lockdown is any, interest I have in superhero books because yeah, no. and we've talked about this on past episodes. It is, it has been kind of interesting to me to see, Hey, if I like a lot of times I will pick up single issues of superhero books to see if I like that arc that's going on. Yeah. I'm much more inclined to pick up. Well, I don't know much more, but I, it feels like when I would go in comic shops, um, often I was, you know, like, Hey, what's the indie trade I can get and what are some superhero books I can, you know, single issues I can get to see if I like what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt like I'm not doing any of that because I'm not physically going into shops, you know, and uh, there we've had all- offline discussions of what's going on in the X-Men universe. And I've been, you know, X curious. And now I'm, <laughs> now I'm happy to know, like, ah, don't worry about it. I mean, it, it would have served them so well if they had taken some months off and then just did like season two of house of X where it's like, Hickman's going to do it again. It's going to be like a continuation of that. We're not going to split it off into like separate little, you know, one-off series. Like Marauders doesn't need to exist. I'm sorry. It doesn't need to right. be its own thing. Um, and so the, the, you can make the same argument about a couple of the other ones too. And then the main X-Men series got, has to be like, has to be acknowledging all the little separate side stories. So it moves at a lot slower pace um, than what I was accustomed to with the, out, the House of X run. So I just, I wish they would have just been like, hey, we're doing it again. And in the meantime, if you want to have like a Wolverine book, great. But like, if you want your mutant stories around this group of people, you got to wait until like we get the next run done and we're g- going to do it in like one, you know, 10 week spans, collect it and then we'll do it again. We'll just do that. Like, why not? Um, I just, this event style kind of multi-series integrated thing is, is, you know, they've been doing it for years. It's not like it's a new thing. It's just, right. it, it's just a broken model that I, you'd think they'd be like, I mean, image has never done that, right? Like boom has never done that. It's just like the, it's only Marvel and DC that want to seed all these other series with like these event stories that you have to like go and hunt down. And maybe at one point that was really well, interesting, but now I just like, ugh. yeah. And I know like we've bitched about it from the other side of that too, which is like, I, I talked about how there were a couple of series I was reading and then there'd be this forced tie into civil war two. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I was right in the middle of enjoying this thing. And you pulled me out of it for these events that I could not give a crap about, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't understand them at all because it's like they, yeah, make them their own little one-off universe. Maybe it has later impacts on stuff, but don't make it so you got to buy every issue. I mean, that's just such a small audience that you're appealing to with that, with that kind of approach. And it it's just, it makes weird. it feel choppy and lazy, right? You're not like, you're not enjoying that one thing. Cause even with, with house of X powers of 10, remember they had like their own style guide, you know, Hickman did all his like <laughs> kind of infographic stuff, but then they had like the logo was very specific. And, and I love that. Like everything about it was, was really cool. Um, so another thing that, you know, the series was good, but the, the conclusion was weak. Um, is uh, a series called Second Coming. I've mentioned it before. It's a wonderful little series. Um, it actually 
it was banned uh, because it's it's about if you know it, basically the pitch is if Jesus uh, pisses off God, God sends him down to Earth to basically learn how to become a man from that world's version of Superman. And like it's that I forget what the uh, sun sunstar sunstar sunfire something like that. Um, that guy he's he's got a girl a Lois like girlfriend and he basically has to like hang out with Jesus and like you learn all these things and then God is more or less portrayed by Kurt Russell you know like you, that's that's <laughs> all you see and hear the entire time um, as you're as you're going through this and I'm sh- I hope that's by design because if it's a pure coincidence it's a it's a big one um, it's a great series yeah, um, you know it's very subversive and in, in a, you know Life of Brian kind of way. Um, and just, it's just lovely. And I had been, uh, I had been collecting it physically, so I had not read it digitally and I was waiting for issue six. I didn't grab it when it first came out and then it just, they stopped carrying it. So I'd have it special ordered. So finally arrived, finally read it. And man, it was just, oh, it was, it just didn't do anything for me. It just ended mm. the whole thing just in a really flat way. It, it, the art was all over the place for some weird reason. Like every other page was I completely, it was like a, I had a double check. I'm like, did other artists just pitch in? Cause it was in the same guy the entire time. It just, it didn't have any cohesion to it. It was really strange. It just, it felt as it, it was the same feeling you would get if you read, uh, the dark Knight returns and then read the dark Knight strikes again, whatever that second one was. And you're like, what it, what is this? <laughs> like this, I guess this is the same guy in books, but I mean, it was that maybe not as extreme, but it just had that same feeling and just, ugh. so I would stay away from, I mean, again, love the series, but man, really disappointed in that last, if you, if you were holding out for it for any reason, just uh, don't bother. Um, and then I want to quickly shout out, very quickly shout out. Uh, I was about dinner. to ask where, where's the bread on the other side the of bread's, this here it compliment comes. sandwich, thin slice of bread. Um, uh, and then, again, I usually stay away from from negative reviews on this show, but I just I I have been so frustrated with with, yeah. with X of Swords. It's like ugh. they 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 people need to know, Todd. They need to know. They need to know. <laughs> Globalists are trying to take over this comic thing. I love. No, um, I'm going to end with the uh, with the the a couple number ones issue number ones that just came out, brand new. Um, which I discovered on my little trip to Muse Comics on Friday. I was so happy. This is what reminds me, Todd, of that time in 2015 where I just sort of lucked out. And like every time I went to the, the store, right. some amazing new series was launching. That was like my new favorite thing. This is kind of, I had that sort of moment on Friday. So the first is, uh, once again, and I apologize, my last image thing is uh, crossover number one. Um, if you've seen it, the cover, the main cover is uh, a kid reading a comic, basically reading crossover number one himself. He's opening it up and he's getting blasted. His face is getting blasted and burned away by like magic comic book colors or something. Um, it's by Donnie, uh, Donnie Cates, uh, with artists D Kunif butchered that and Jeff Shaw. Um, this is the team, uh, rather a, a kind of an Avengers coming together of the creative teams behind books like God Country or Thanos Wins, oh, right, which I've right. talked about. And even it the very book much Redneck. looks like God Country. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the book Redneck, too. So it's kind of a, a, a team up of these these folks. Highly anticipated. Um, a lot of people who've read it uh, have given it amazing reviews, even even creators that I respect. So high, you know, highly anticipated. Just came out. Um I am not even going to say much more other than just uh, the pitch line or the log line is um, imagine everything you thought was fantasy was real. And now join us in a world where reality is dead and anything is possible. 
that's pretty much all you need to know. And then just look at the cover and you'll uh, you'll kind of get what this is about. So check that out. Um, also check out, and this was a total, I mean, I actually, I knew Crossover was coming out. So I kind of went, you know, knowing I would probably pick up number one. Uh, at least I was going to check it out. But then on my way to that, I found by pure accident, two other series. One is by a publisher I've never heard of called Vault Comics, V-A-U-L-T. Mm. And it's uh, a little series called Giga, um, G-I-G-A. And <laughs> I picked up issue number one. I thought I had picked up issues number one and two, but it turns out issue, uh, both were still issue number one. And um, and what I thought was issue number two was just an awesome variant that just happened to look, you know, it was, it was by the same artist, so it just looked like another issue because there was another issue that was clearly a variant. And I was like, okay, and then I'm just like, I'll get these two. So I have two issue number ones. If you're interested, I can send you one. Um, <laughs> just a, a lovely little series. I'm just going to read the log line from the website. It says, nobody knows why the skyscraper-sized mechs known as Giga fought their bitter centuries-long war. All they know is that when the fighting finally stopped, the dormant Giga became humanity's new habitat and new gods in one. Um, and then it says, when disgraced engineer Evan Calhoun finds an apparently murdered Giga, his society and the fantastic tech-centered religious order that controls it are rapidly thrown into chaos. And this is uh, written by Alex Pacnadel, uh, Pacnadel, hopefully, and then art by John Lee, published by Vault, like I said, and issue one just came out, but it's a lovely little series. It has a very uh, Moebius sort of vibe to it. Like it uh, actually like thumbing through it. Like I had to do a double take. Cause I'm like, was this, this was this Moebius? Like it has that, that look it has that uh I mean, with ball still being its own thing it's not a, just a total ripoff but the way you know, very very geometric environments um you know great use of space um and you really get the you really get the feeling of what this world looks like and feels like you know from the you know, first couple pages even the cover um so just stylistically amazing uh and i'm i'm definitely on board for the next couple issues and just to see where they go at the very least and hopefully to continue on because um, i want to support this little publisher vault yeah, who, never, I, like I'm looking them up there. It looks like their comics look great. Yeah, I'm like, where have and they been hiding this whole time? I, they're damn. doing adaptations of Brandon Sanderson stuff, I guess, or maybe it's an original thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, huge sci-fi writer. It looks like they're great. It says creator-owned science fiction and fantasy comics. That's really cool. Yeah, so I'm going to um, be, I mean, they also have this other book I was meaning to check out called Autumnal Number One. Um, mm. so I saw that in the store, but now that I know I'm kind of getting a flavor for vault, I'm going to kind of go deep on, deep on them. And then the final number one, and this was both, uh, truly a surprise and my favorite surprise. Um, you know, cause I loved Giga. I loved, you know, stumbling onto some of these other things I, I grabbed. Um, but then I happened to see off on, and this is again at Muse. And so I was looking down the, they had a, their, their new arrangement for all their, their, their latest, uh, single issues is, is awesome. It's just this giant wall. And so I was looking down the wall and I was just like, wait a second, Dune House of Atreides. Wait a second. Is that art by Jai Lee or Jay Lee? What? And I, I picked it up and sure enough, freaking boom. Um, the greatest licensier of all time. Like every, they just keep licensing properties and making amazing comics out of them. Um, they have, they've basically allowed this Dune House of Atreides uh, series. And it's a prequel series to the actual story Dune. It's about how it's basically uh, Duke Leto growing up. Written by Brian Herbert, son of the the uh, son of Frank Herbert, and Kevin J. Anderson, um, helping him adapt it. Art by Dev Pramanik, Pramanik, uh, and colorist Alex Gimerez. And again, the cover is by Jay Lee, and I'm so disappointed because the cover is amazing. 
Um, and he did a couple variants too. And then I, I mean, the art is fine. Um, they do a great job, but you're just like, why can't Jay Lee just illustrate this entire thing? Right. Um, right. <laughs> because it's a, such a specific style. Uh, and I mean, you recognize it from a mile away. And so that it was, I was a little disappointed because that, that cover was so compelling. I was like, Oh my God, this is what he's, it, it's a, it's a, it's a visual or an aesthetic for the, the Dune story that I haven't seen before. And I was just like, Oh, this will be fun. And then you open it up and like, Oh, it's still good, but damn it. That's now I'm a little let down. So, you know, take that for what it's worth, but I'll be on board for this with this one for a while. Um, very surprised. I actually got, uh, the, a, a variant where it's the cover, but then there's a, outer cover uh, of an Iraqi worm swallowing one of the people that kind of layers over it. So that I grabbed huh. that one just because Muse uh, is, a, is a, many things, but they love their variants there. And that's, I love that's cool. my escape velocity, but I go to Muse if I'm getting variant happy, I'm like, Oh, let's just go see. And then this, this kind of thing happens. So, so there you go. There's my comic book compliment sandwich back I'll, to you. I'll, God. I'll give you a couple quick pitches to, to end us on. I didn't want to put them in the middle of the comics because uh, I, I've, I, I guess I'm not a big animation watcher. I, you know, I think it's sort of like when we talked about horror movies the other week, like I say that and then I could probably quickly go through a bunch of animation that I like. But um, I have recently, and I've been meaning to plug this on this and I may have already plugged it on, on the podcast. So I, I apologize if I'm treading over things because I know I've pitched the show to you. I've pitched it to so many people loved the crap out of the dragon prince on oh, yeah. Netflix. There are three seasons on, on Netflix right now. Here is my elevator pitch. This is a uh, game of Thrones for kids. Like there are no beheadings. Don't worry about that. It's not ultra violent or anything, but it is. No beheadings I, 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 I watched this. I had the strangest like introduction to this because a, a friend of mine, um, that I play D and D with had, had told us to watch this was like, you got to watch the show. It's really good. I got sucked in. Now we're playing a D and D campaign where his character is straight up. One of the characters from the dragon Prince show. Wow. Despite him saying that, like I had added it to my watch list, not, you know, checked in on it. Um, and then my uh, niece told me that she had heard good things about the show and we started watching it together. And then she like quickly finished up the series, like within a week and it took me several weeks more to finish up the three. There's three seasons, um, short 20 minute episodes, you know, like made for kids TV, um, but very kid friendly. Like if you have kids I and they're over seven, I think they would like this. They might like it under that, but there is some monster violence and sword play and stuff like that. But it follows like there are sort of five human kingdoms and then there are uh, four to seven elven kingdoms and they live on the same continent and it has this rich history of magic and uh it is so game of thronesy and done so well like you know you'll find a a wikia page or whatever that wiki you know fan club wiki kind of thing is that like is basically the official wiki for them that's got all this information about all these kingdoms and everything but it's basically about um uh, similar to spara it's uh a a um um, an elf comes to murder this human king on a mission with other elves and you know d d like they all get the elves get separated and she ends up meeting contemporary uh, humans who are her contemporaries in other words kids and they realize that some of the things that they've both been told about the other are wrong they all escape you know it's inevitable war clashing between all these kingdoms 
And it's just these three kids that can fix it. But it's got all this like, you know, family drama and like political machinations and magic and elves and, you know, swords and dragons. And like, it's really, really well done. And apparently they're promising like eight seasons of this, which part of me thinks is just a like, (laughs) they're literally like (laughs) telling Game of Thrones like they can do it better (laughs) or something. (laughs) But um, the first three seasons are are a great way to like, you know, I mean... I did not binge this. Like I did not sit down and just like cram it in, but I would probably sit and watch three episodes at a time, maybe, you know, cause they're so quick. That's like an hour. And, um, but it, it does get to where there's so many things going on and so many families and so many like different histories with the elves and stuff that you, you know, it's a lot to keep track of. And my niece is like, she turns into the lore hound like that I was on Game of Thrones. Like, well, actually it's pronounced this and their lineage comes from blah, blah, blah and the myth of whatever. And I'm like, I, how did you figure that out? What's going on? <laughs> um, but it's just, it's just wonderful. And uh, they have a couple of cool books out for it, like for kids Um and one of them is written from the point of view of one of the characters. And it is the story of their journey. But it's it's a, a great way to like it's a great thing to give to kids and say, like, hey, here's all the secret stuff that, you know, it's it's the the elvish alphabet and like more about all the weird creatures they meet when they hit the elven kingdoms and stuff like that. And it's it's just really neat. It's like their land of ice and fire kind of book. And it's um, I don't know. I just I was really into this and just seeing how immersed my niece became made me excited about it. Cause it's, you know, it's cool. It's like, I'm you, I'm, we don't need to get into this, but I have <laughs> been rewatching the Hobbit movies. Um, the Peter uh, Jackson ones, not the, yeah, not yeah. the Rankin Bass animated classic. Well, yeah, there's only one of those. I, I'm, oh. I'm still trying to figure out if I can understand the plot just from the Peter Jackson ones, but it's that one, even, you know, just in watching it, I think, you know, I, I, I want the Hobbit book to be a classic that I can share with my niece and nephew, but I wasn't that connected to it and I don't really like it. So it is cool to think, Hey, there's a, there's a contemporary work that is even more rich because it is contemporary. Um, You know, this is a, in dragon Prince. There are, um, you know, there are homosexual couples who rule kingdoms. There are blended families. There are all these like interesting things that aren't, called out as part of some sort of tokenism or something. It's like, they're just in there because that's this rich world. And it's sort of that feeling of like, I, I, I almost wanted that from game of Thrones. Like, I don't get it. You're, you're in like a very diverse world. Why aren't your kingdoms more diverse? You know, like what's going on? Like, this is, you know, it's a, I, one of those things of like, it's fantasy, make it fantastic. You know, don't, don't just sort of make it medieval England with dragons. Um, Anyway, Dragon Prince, awesome. Uh, second um, uh, plug I want to do, I have not watched this entire series yet, but was just blown away by Gendy Tartakovsky's Primal, which is on HBO right now. I don't know anything about this this guy that has worked in animation forever, but he was, uh, I guess, the force behind Samurai Jack and Dexter's Laboratory and oh. uh, numerous other things like that. Primal is the story of a caveman who makes this strange allegiance with a dinosaur um, to sort of protect each other. And so it is dialogue free 
And it looks kind of like a classic, like 60s Hanna-Barbera sort of style cartoon in, in a lot of ways. The colors are just fantastic. Like they are, um, it, it that's where it totally diverges from any 60s sort of style. You know, so if the drawing style is sort of like purposefully primitive, you know, um, a lot of great close-ups on like that, the, you know, the eyes and the face as, as the caveman grunts and makes, you know, <laughs> angry facial expressions and stuff. Um, but then the colors are just this crazy palette of like, you know, purples and oranges and, you know, pinks and all this like, it, it's not like loud, like in a neon way. It's just like a, a really subtle and very cool way to show this primal world where dinosaurs are ripping each other apart and this caveman's trying to survive and it's i i mean it's so cool <laughs> and there's only this, i've seen little little things for this and i didn't quite know like tonally where this was this was headed so right get this uh because it could you, you look at even some of the stills you're like man this could be anything this could be goofy right. this could be like really graphic and awful <laughs> like i, I don't and know honestly because of his name and the title because uh, HBO calls it um, Gindy Tartakovsky's uh, Primal. I thought um, this is going to be uh, like, I thought it was old. I thought it was uh, a, a classic, you know, that they had um, revived in some way. But it's, it's, uh, I think it's all meant to be pitched that way, maybe. Yeah. No. Um, but even in, in uh, what I've seen, there, there's definitely some like, raw violence um but i wouldn't say it's like over the top it's definitely not like for kids but uh, a friend of mine who's completed the series has said they don't hold anything back so i oh, kind nice. i kind of think it's going in a more violent direction um and i i'm just curious where it goes you know uh, it's uh but it feels very opposite the dragon prince it feels very much like you're not um uh, I, I don't have any preconceived notions or I don't, I don't feel like I need to be attached to, you know, factions in it or following storylines or anything like that. It's like, Oh, this is just a, a crazy, like, uh, you know, caveman and his dinosaur sort of cartoon. Like, let me just, I can watch five episodes of this. Let's see where this goes. So, nice. um, I don't like, uh, um, like other things I've mentioned. I don't, I don't know that it's, bingeable in that way like i i don't want to sit down and just like cram five episodes in yeah but but they're there on hbo if you want to watch them so that's pretty cool in in the moment as we you were pitching series to me and we were talking about comics on on comicsology unlimited i had the app up and i was like oh that's there let me add that to the wish list let me borrow that let me you know so um yeah, sorry for one more pitch for Comicsology Unlimited, but it is really cool. <laughs> Again, they're not sponsoring this. Maybe we should like but they should. send this to Amazon and be like, hey, can you just give us a free year? Because that would be awesome. Well, um, I, I'll tell you one thing that's this is really interesting. And it's one of those things that like we should dig into the um, the actual politics of all this stuff. Because, you know, some, some stuff has gone on during the lockdown with Diamond Distribution, which was like the distribution thing and we've mentioned on past shows where i've gone into comic shops a few times to request like what i would have called a book of comic art to be told our distributor doesn't carry that and i was like you know i'm happy to order it from you but they can't even 
order it because Diamond wouldn't carry it and they have some exclusive deal with Diamond. So they can't like have two distributors or whatever it is. And so it's like, you're, you're driving me to Amazon. You know, I'm trying yeah, to walk yeah. into a store and order this. And, um, but Amazon itself, which owns Comixology, does not discriminate in that way. So I recently purchased this book, Nimona, which is one of those that I've been told to read again and again. And um, I'm sorry, the author escapes me. I, and I don't even want to say who I think it is, but and be wrong. But I've gone in, I've gone into comic shops and been told that it's the same thing, that Diamond doesn't carry it. We can't, you know, carry it or whatever or whatever it was. And so I just thought at some point I'm, I'm going to find it in the store and I will buy it. But it's on Comixology. Well, you know, so Comixology doesn't care if it's like a comic from that's distributed by Diamond or just a comic. They don't care. They just sell it. So I got it on Comixology. Anyway. Wow. That's, yeah. I, I Whatever that is, it does feel like what we've learned during the lockdown with who who left uh, Diamond? Was it DC or was it Marvel? I forget. One of the, one of the big two left. Yeah. And so it does, we've gone back Marvel. and forth on like whether it's a good thing or not, you know, because they're, we heard of uh you had heard of uh uh um fat man beyond episode where he talked about they interviewed the guy from diamond and he was like i want there to be competition i'm the only i'm the last man standing you know and this was not the way it's supposed to be blah 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 but it does seem like this is now a problem like if you can if you can get a comic book on comiXology that you cannot get in a comic store by any means that's a problem yeah you know yeah so uh, anyway it's it's there and Comics Unlimited is a uh, five ninety nine. So it's. I mean, know. we've said it before, but it's one big reason why comic shops should be really have a very particular point of view about their curation, and don't be afraid if it's incredibly unique. Like you don't have to be all things to all people, and in fact, you shouldn't because if you think that's what you are, then you're always going to get compared to Amazon in every yeah. respect. So you've got to be like. And to avoid that, you be something very specific. Like there's a oh, reason yeah. why when I'm in Portland, I go to four separate comic shops because they're so different and I can have a completely different, unique experience aesthetically as well as what I'm picking up in each of them. So it's like lean oh, yeah. into that. Like that's the re- that's how you, cause then it's like, I'm not going to think, you know, I'm always going to go back to that store for some reason, you know? Well, and, not- and I'm also not going to go into that store that's highly curated and ask for a book that's, you know, just some sort of generic thing. Yeah. I, I'm not even going to like, I'm not even going to feel that, that moment of frustration of like, I can't believe you can't order this for me, you know, because it's yeah. like, Hey, I know that store is known for this, you know? So I'm just, I, I, I think Muse is such a great example of like, I, I loved that, they, that they had like a um, nonfiction section, you know, yeah. and, yeah. Um, and then they had like a creator section, you know, that was like, Hey, this is more about like the tools and supplies that you might need if you're a comics artist. And, like that, that kind of stuff is so great. And I don't know that it would even occur to me to ask for Nimona in a place like that. Yeah. But yeah. in some of the more we carry everything shops, that's where I ask for, you know, something like that, which is like a, a young adult book and, and get that response. So, eh, yeah, not to ramble too long about that. Anyway, no, anyway, where can people find us if they're not listening to us? Panelism.inc, that's .inc is the website address and the Instagram handle. That's at panelism.inc, .inc. Somebody said the other day, like .inc. I'm like, no, I-N-K. Um, and then uh, you can email us or you can message us through our Instagram uh, page. I'm probably going to be more active there now that 
this election is over and I just, I feel like I don't have to, I won't be interacting with political ads anymore, hopefully, um, for a while. So like, I just, I'm a little bit more inspired to be on social media again. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, and then anything else you want to plug or talk about? Is that, are we good? No, I'm good. We're good. <laughs> be good. Yeah. Be good. That's that, that. Those are the words that I will keep. With. Keep reading. Keep and reading. There you go. Keep I don't reading. Know what to say. We need. I mean, we need like that reading rainbow sign off that we really do. It's so hard. <laughs>